Well, Jesus' reputation as a healer has been gotten around. Soldiers sent leaders from the Jewish community uh, to represent him, to intercede for him, to convince Jesus to come and heal. Simple request come and heal my person. That's all he asked. So when these Jewish elders came to Jesus, they pleaded earnestly with him. This man deserves his heavy duty because he loves our nation and has built our synagogue. This is amazing. The Jewish elders would have had every reason in the world to hate this man and come to Jesus and say, whatever this guy wants, he'll give it to him. He's a Roman. He's a Roman conversion. He's one of the enemies. Instead, they came and they earnestly pleaded with Jesus. They begged him to do what the man asked. They said he deserves it because they recognized his love for the Jewish people and his generosity. Uh, I just want to plant a thought, but. What would make a Roman non-commissioned officer love the people he was ruling over and make him generous enough to show them a place of worship? Well, keep going, but that's a good answer. So Jesus went with them. They came, they pleaded, Jesus went with them. And he was not far from the house when the centurion sent friends to say to him, Lord, don't trouble yourself, for I do not deserve you to have you come under my roof. This point of view, how different that is from the Jewish elders. Do this for him because he deserves it. And he says, you know, I really don't even deserve you to come under my roof. And he decides to shorten and simplify his request. Just don't come. I don't deserve your company. That is why I did not even consider myself worthy to come to you. I didn't even think I was worthy to come and ask you in person. That's why I sent the Jewish elders. And now, you just say the word and my servant will be healed. Say the word. It's a new request. Not come and heal my servant. Just say the word. Don't come. Just speak. My servant's word will be healed. Better question. Where did a Roman soldier, Roman soldiers tended to uh, range anywhere from 
we're taking a whole pantheon out of Roman gods or gods that they were raised under because not all of them were actually Roman. Some of them were mercenaries and they brought in some other cultures. So they're just basically atheists. So how does a Roman soldier develop so much confidence in Jesus that he says to him, just say it. And it'll be okay. Jeremiah says, for I myself, the centurion said this, I myself am a man under authority. With soldiers under me, I tell this one, go, he goes, and that one comes, and comes, I say to my servant, do this, and he does it. Unless, of course, he's thinking about to die, so I throw that in. This is something I think we need to understand. You have to be under authority to be in authority. Exercise of authority is a result of submission to a higher authority. Unless, of course, you're the King of Kings and Lord of Lords, and there is no higher authority. But for everyone else, you know, this organization will say, God and everybody else. So here's, here's, here's this centurion. He recognizes in Jesus that he is. Is a man under authority. He is under God's authority. He is under the Heavenly Father's authority. The centurion's authority as a soldier came from his submission to his officers and ultimately the teacher. What happens if a soldier, an officer, regardless of their rank, begins to issue commands that are not in line with the commander in chief? It's called rebellion. And bad things happen to rebels. The consequences of rebellion uh, always destroy rebellion. Either by convincing the rebel to stop rebelling or by eliminating the rebel. And so here's the centurion. He looks at Jesus and says, I know what it means to be a man under authority. I have someone over me, and I have people under me. And when I tell them what to do, as long as I'm under the authority of the one who's my superior officer, they do what I tell them to do. And all you have to do is speak. I recognize you are a man under authority. You issue the command. Jesus' authority flows from his submission to his heavenly Father. Jesus describes it this way, I do not say or do anything that I do not see my Father do. See, sometimes we get the impression, at least I did when I was growing up going to Sunday school, and then the vacation Bible school, I grew up thinking that Jesus kind of just went willy-nilly wherever he wanted to do and did whatever he wanted to do. And I thought that was cool because I am a highly independent kind of person who likes to go willy-nilly wherever I want to do and do whatever I want to do and say whatever I want to say. Then I found Jesus saying things like he says in John chapter 15, he says, I am the vine, you are the branches, you can't do anything about me. 
always be a little struggle. I'll just be honest. What? Branches don't go willy-nilly anyway. Have you noticed that? If the branch is not connected to the body, it's dead, right? So the branch does not go willy-nilly wherever it wants to go. It's stuck to the body. The other thing is, branches don't do anything to that branch. Find connections to the to the So they just like going willy nilly doing whatever, saying whatever I want, right? And then I ran across to something you just said is God's got your mind. I see somewhere in that. I've certainly grew up with it. He says, I don't do anything and I don't say anything before my father. My father is at work. This Roman soldier looked at Jesus and saw a man under authority. A man for whom the authority of God Almighty could flow. Now, here it is. So we're going to talk about how to amaze Jesus. Here, here is how uh, to do it. Look at how Jesus responds to this man. When Jesus heard this, he was amazed at him. And turning to the crowd following him, he said, I tell you, I have not found such great faith even in Israel. So Jesus is asking the same question I've been pointing in your mind. Where does a guy from a Roman soldier, an occupying pagan, okay? And I don't. Some people get upset when you say the word pagan. But the guy was a pagan. He, he didn't worship the God of the creator of the universe. He worshiped, or he didn't believe in God. He worshiped a pantheon of gods, or no gods at all. And he shows up. And he sees Jesus. And he says to him, the same word. I've been walking around in Israel, the people who know God. These are the descendants of the people who saw the ten plagues that Moses brought down on Egypt. These are the descendants of the people who walked through the Red Sea on dry ground. These are the people who had the descendants of the people who made manna in the desert and found water and rocks because God provided for them. These are the people who are the descendants who are the descendants of the people who hurt the prophets. They have the written words of God. They hear them read every week. And not a single one of them has ever come up to me and said, just say the word. And that's the way it'll be. That's the secret to amazing Jesus. And Jesus holds this man up as an example of the kind of faith 
that he expected and hoped to find in Israel, but didn't. He got very own people. There was not this kind of thing. And yet here in this Roman soldier, one that people would normally have thought of as an enemy and an outcast, he finds this great big faith. Oh, and in honor of Paul Hardy, here's the rest of the story. The man who had been sent returned to the house and found the servant left. I'm a man under authority, the guy says. I know what it means to command. Just say it. Now, he wasn't using the command of Jesus. He was just recognizing he had the authority. He was different. They say, trust God, trust Jesus. Tell God what to do. Here's the sermon in the sentence. If you want to amaze Jesus, you need to do all you need to do. If you want to amaze Jesus, all you need to do is to trust Him with big faith. Big faith. That's what we're going to be talking about for the next five weeks. And imagine how different your outlook on life would be. If you had absolute confidence that Jesus was always with you, right next to you. That no matter what situation you're in, good situation, bad situation, whether everything's going smoothly or everything's falling apart, keep right there. Not alone, keep right there. Imagine how you would respond to temptation. Imagine how you would respond to those temptations, those you were you was right there. You knew certainly that with God was with all of the things that were going on around you. He was with you, Jesus was taking care of you in the sense that he was always sitting in there and always helping you. He was planning to take anything and everything that is going on around you and leveraging it to make you everything he created you to be. In other words, imagine what it would be like to have big faith. If you want to amaze Jesus, all you need one of my favorite verses, Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6, says, Without faith it is impossible to please God, because anyone who comes to Him must believe that He exists. I like this because it's a very logical statement. First part of faith is you have to believe God exists. So first of all, if you believe you exist, you're halfway home. The rest of it is, and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. That he wants to connect with you in an intimate, loving relationship. That's the kind of faith he's looking for. 
impossible to please God. If you have to believe it exists, that is part of the faith. And you also have to believe that you will reward So why is this faith such a big deal for God, for Jesus? Why, why do they make this big deal about it? And why are we going to talk about it for the next five weeks? That's a good question. Why do you ask? If you didn't ask, I did it for you. Here's the problem. Trust was devastated in the Garden of Eden. Our trust, the, all relationships, at least in this universe, as far as we know, all relationships are based on trust. If you don't trust somebody, you don't have a relationship with them. You have a first reaction to them. You've got to trust. And the relationship is only as deep and as strong as that trust, right? Well, it's very beginning of the Bible. We find out that the trust between a human and God was devastated and destroyed. And it started with dishonesty. Not dishonesty on the human point of view, not, not from the human point of view, not dishonesty from God's point of view, dishonesty coming out of the mouth of a snake. Now I have a whole sermon talking about why you shouldn't talk to snakes. Some of you don't know what about me and all that kind of reason. You know, never mind. The snake shows up and lies to them and says, God wants to keep you from being everything that you could be, and the only way to do it is by doing the exact thing he told you not to do. Because when he tells you it's going to kill you, it's actually going to make you better. Dishonesty. Now, the next one's on us. By us, I mean uh, all of us. It started with Adam and Eve, but we, none of us are any different. Because after the dishonesty, the after dishonesty from the state, there was an attitude of distrust born in the hearts of Adam and Eve and every single person who has come into this room. We stopped. Trusting God. And when you don't trust somebody, what do you do? You don't do what they tell you to do. You rebel. You go, I'm no longer under this person's authority because I do not trust them. And so they disobey. They ate the fruit that God told them never to eat. And suddenly realize we are not better off. They looked at each other and said, Jesus made us out of house and home. Yes, he did. We were born in each other. Trust between man and woman. And between human beings was destroyed. Was it just between us and God? The moment we just, the moment we just obeyed, we started distrusting each other. Like, oh, you told me it was a good idea. Well, you're the one that said it. And then when God shows up, Adam, this is perfect. The woman that you gave me, by the way, she made me do it. 
place God is far more gracious than I am. So my response to that is, wow. That's dumb. And so, if you want to understand everything that happens in the Bible from Genesis 4 1 all the way through the end of the book of Revelation, it is what is God going to do now that between us and the snake, we have destroyed trust of the universe? That's why faith is a big deal. And his faith. That works to restore us and to make things what it ought to be. It starts most obviously with a man named Abraham. And God tells Abraham the truth about himself. God says that for all of us. He reveals himself through nature, through the Bible, ultimately through Jesus. And even now, as hard as it is for us to understand, he does it through us. The first big future. God reveals the truth about himself. And he also to help us understand that we can't trust him. And that is then the way we are to respond. He's calling us to trust him. To believe him. And that's why when Jesus finds in Roman centurion who's not supposed to believe in anything, let alone believe in God, he's out here in the middle of nowhere, little town on the edge of the Sea of Galilee, and this guy goes, Who's saying a word? And he's blown away by this level of the key to understanding God's solution to the problem introduced by the devastation of trust in Genesis chapter 3 is not a list of rules. I would say that one more time because I'm in church and a lot of us need to do that. God's answer the devastation of Christ in the garden is not a list of rules. When God appears and shows up with Abraham, he says, This is who I am. And even though you're a really old man and your wife is a really old woman and neither of you have ever had children, you are going to have a son. And Abraham believed that. really important. And it was credited to him as righteousness. It was viewed from God's point of view as perfect obedience. If you think Jesus was amazed when a Roman centurion would say it says, I want you to know God's faith in Abraham believed. Abraham, that he was planning to bless all of us. Because 
one hand, in a little bit of Lake Michigan nowhere, desert, believed that somehow God would give him and his wife, okay, just to help you understand this, Abram was nearly 100 years old, and his wife was over 90. Are you guys, most of you are old enough to know the biological factors involved here. Neither one of them has had, had, well, she's never had children, and she's 90 years old. What are the odds? Not no, not at all. That's what the eyes are. They both thought it was hilarious. They literally laughed and got told us, but they still believe. And the next thing you know, they have a sign that they decided to laugh because they thought, wow, it was a laugh. They have a son when they're 100 years old. Oh. God finds his old couple. Who are willing to believe him? <laughs> so that's all I'm asking. But you know, there's something amazing that happens when you begin to have a relationship with God. Yeah, because I knew there was another word up there, and I was wondering when you ever get to that word. That's that word transformation. Every trust-filled relationship will transform you. Particularly, trust-filled relationships with God. It is amazing how, have you noticed, the longer couples have been together, the more they start looking like each other? Some of the other couples are suddenly terrified. Right? Why? Because their love-filled, trust-filled relationship has transformed them from two people into one couple. A unit. Does it happen automatically? No. But there are plenty of examples where it never happens. You've got two people there who really trusted each other, not to be transformed. But if you become a trusting follower of Jesus, it will begin to change you. If you want to amaze Jesus, all you need to do in the big faith. The big faith believes that Jesus, or God, however you want to say it, because Jesus is God and God is Jesus. Big faith believes God is who He claims to be and He will do everything He promises to do. And if you just said, yeah, but, and if you're alive, you probably do, that's a spot where your trust isn't quite big enough. Where my trust is in place of you. I was looking at the top of that yet. Some of them in all faiths and sizes. But if you listen closely, if you listen closely, what you're going to hear the Holy Spirit saying is the same thing in most sermons. Christ. Well, I thought that was a sermon on being forgiven. 
I have not obeyed you. I have done my 